All right. Well, I don't know if you can remember, but when we first started Philippians way back at the beginning uh, of the year, uh, each week for, for I reckon four or five weeks, I would come in here and I would say to you guys that as a church... Moving into 2023, uh, we want to be challenged by this question. And that question was, uh, where, where are you? And if you're not here, where are you? What are you doing? And if you are here, where are you? How are you uh, participating in the expression of life and the people that the gospel has breathed to life here at Freeway? Where are you in your relationship with Jesus? Where are you uh, in your love and affection for God? And where are you and the work of the Holy Spirit at in your life? Is it, is it producing joy as we've been discovering uh, throughout this letter? Where are you in relationship with your brothers and sisters in Christ? The people you gathered around a table with right now. Where are you in relationship with your neighbors, the people that you live with? Is the transformative message of the gospel getting exercised, nourished, shaped, challenged and multiplied in your lives by the motivating joy of knowing Jesus and having him shape and, and, and exercise in your life? Are you in a small group? Have you found a place to serve? How are you partnering in the gospel? How are you participating in its message and its movement? And what we were hoping and praying was that as 2023 gets underway and is now underway, that it would be a year of vibrant growth, uh, growth in numbers, growth spiritually, relationally, and expressive and expressionally, like actually in the joy that we all share. And we said, none of that happens without you. And then over the next few months, we've taken a bit of a deep dive into this letter uh, to the Philippians that Paul wrote from imprisonment in, in Rome. And if we didn't know that, if we didn't do a little bit of time looking at that, we weren't aware that Paul is actually under house arrest, uh, imprisoned in a tiny little small room, chained uh, to a a Roman guard, uh, Praetorian, you know, one of the elite guards, 24-7. We would suspect that this letter is being uh, written from a palace, from a place of comfort. Uh, This is a letter written by a man who just radiates an unconquerable joy for the life that he has found in Jesus Christ. Despite his physical and his unjust uh, sufferings, despite his isolation, like he can't go uh, to the synagogue and do his normal routine of worship and preaching and, 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 and mixing with God's people, despite the possibility of his imminent death, Paul has written one of the most encouraging and, and intimate letters full of gratitude, full of joy, full of rejoicing um, for, the, for the partnership, the ministry partnership and, and the partaking, the shared partaking in the gospel that he has shared with the Philippians. And that is now, uh, as we read there, you know, it's now been revived, like uh, uh, Epaphrodites has turned up and, and it's rekindled all this and they've brought a gift and, and, and you can imagine the conversations and we, and we sort of went through them. And throughout this letter, Paul has continually sought to remind the Philippians of their common joy that is theirs, between, that he has, that they have uh, in knowing and serving Jesus. Joy is uh, one of the central themes of the book of Philippians. There are 
are 15 explicit references to some form of joy, either in the noun like joy or in the verb rejoice in this short little letter. You've got some uh, pages, A4 pages in the, on your tables there. They've got questions that if somebody says something amazingly outstanding, you jot it down. But if it's kind of boring and just yours, put it on your own little sheet. But if, you know, if something great comes up, you just jot that down. We want to know about it. But on the back of that, you'll find the 15 references. In chapter 1, verses 4 to, 4 to 5, Paul prays for the Philippian believers with joy because of the partnership uh, with him in the gospel. That's something that he is joyous about. And then in verse 18, he rejoices that Christ is proclaimed even when Christ is proclaimed with impure motives. In verses 18 to 19, he rejoices that the current hardship will turn out for his deliverance through the prayers of the believers and the help of the Spirit. Like these things are, 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 are a delight for Paul. And in verse 25, Paul is convinced that God willing, the, the continuation of his ministry, should he be able to get back down there and continue to minister to the Philippians, will contribute to their progress and joy in the faith. And we roll into chapter 2 and Paul has joy when the believers are unified and single-minded. It completes his joy. And Paul, Paul would be glad in his sacrifice for the sake of their faith. Uh, so that he, it's an evidence that his ministry is not in vain. And likewise, he would rejoice with the believers in his sacrifice for the sake of their faith. Again, evidence that this gospel, this ministry that Paul is laboring in, they're sharing in, is not done in vain. And verse 18, Paul encourages the Philippian believers to also be glad in his life being poured out for them. And again, there's like, there's like four little um, moments here where Paul just uh, is glad. Uh, verse 18, verse 28, Paul is eager to send Epaphrodites back to them so that they can rejoice in seeing their brother back amongst them and be less anxious about his health. Verse 29, Paul encourages the Philippian church to receive Epaphrodite's back with joy since he's risked his life for the work of Christ. Chapter 3, Paul has no problem with frequently repeating to, to remind them, rejoice, you know, and again I say rejoice, rejoice in the Lord because he knows it's important to have this kind of uh, posture, this kind of, of position in their faith. And then in chapter 4, Paul encourages the Philippians to rejoice in the Lord always. And for added emphasis, commands the Philippian believers to rejoice again. The Philippians' renewed ability to support his ministry causes Paul to rejoice in the Lord greatly. We find that in chapter 4, verses 10. And in woven amongst all of these statements, these reasons for joy, is the friendship and the history of partnering and participating in their witness for the gospel. They have that shared witness in their mutual experiences of grace-filled salvation and suffering. Their shared bond through the unifying work of the Holy Spirit. The powerful and transformative identification that is Paul's and theirs in Christ's life, in his death, and in his resurrection, and their readiness to share in troubling times while remaining faithful and generous. As Ken Hughes points out, all of this history of this partnering and participating in the work of the gospel, these stories kind of grips Paul's heart as he begins to write this letter and he's remembering back. And he writes this, I hold you in my heart. And that seems to permutate everything that Paul says as he remembers, you know, 
things like the, the, the conversion and the hospitality of Lydia, that wealthy uh, Asian businesswoman, and the encounter with the, uh, the, the, the street kid, the, the ex-slave uh, girl, demon-possessed girl. And then, of course, the Philippian jailer. And these make up some of the first Philippian believers in that church, not to mention the fact that you know, his brother Epaphroditus has risked his life and is sitting there with Paul. But now Paul is having to say goodbye. His last and final words to these people is probably going to be the last correspondence he has with them. He doesn't know what's going to happen out of his incarceration. And while this letter is one of the most encouraging that the Apostle Paul wrote, his love for the Philippians has not seen him shrink back from addressing major issues of, of divisive feuds, uh, of deceiving dogs, you know, the dogs that were creeping in, false gospels and things like that, that threaten the unity of the church. Paul wants the best for his beloved Philippian friends. Again, Kent Hughes summarizes, he wants to see them living their lives as citizens of heaven in a, in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He wants them to fight against and overcome any shreds of self-centeredness, pride, complaining, arguing, disagreeing, and division that might exist or, 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 or creep into this fellowship. He wants to see them fight against and overcome those human sinful issues as they put on the mind of Christ and they stand firm in the joy of Christ. Paul loves the Philippians enough to speak truth to them and now he is having to say goodbye as he closes out this letter. I shouldn't have been left with this, should I? But Paul is saying goodbye in a very encouraging and unifying way. His final greeting is yet another summary of how their, their common joy in their shared grace that they have is theirs in Christ. And how that has made complete strangers and natural born enemies uh, brothers and sisters in Christ who despite things like geography, uh, ethnicity, uh, political biases, economic uh, stratas, and, and these kind of barriers that normally divide people, not here and not there. They share in an undeserved but unconditional and unprejudiced grace and joy of their Lord Jesus Christ. Well, firstly, Paul instructs that Epaphrodites and whoever else is going to bring this letter back to uh, the Philippians to convey Paul's own personal uh, greeting. He wants them to convey that he, Paul, is personally uh, greeting every saint back at Philippi. The word greet here is not a casual kind of uh, collective. Paul just says hi to everyone, you know, some kind of thing. Now, Paul is warmly acknowledging the bonds that exist between him personally and, and those individual saints who make up the church of Philippi, who like Paul, like him, have been set apart by Christ to live lives worthy of the gospel. That's what a saint is, someone who has an authentic and living relationship with God through Jesus, from one genuine believer to another genuine believer in Philippi 
So no one back in that church is left thinking, oh, Paul is only writing to the, to the leaders. He's only writing to the musos or, you know, the upfront people. For Paul, when it comes to bonds in Christ, there is level ground around the cross and there is level standing in the church. And that's not to say that he is devaluing the roles and the offices and the callings within a church um, family. All those things are recognized, but he is also recognizing the spiritual reality that everybody is equal. Everybody is equal and significant and value in, in their relationship with Jesus. And we like to say here that there is no one who isn't missed in their absence and there is no one who isn't valued in their presence. And then Paul moves on from his personal greeting to add the shared greeting of those who are probably maybe standing in the room with Paul right now, but have kind of visited Paul, wandered through his room uh, from various times, who have been hearing the story of the Philippian church, and now they wish to convey their solidarity, uh, their common joy and experience with this church back in Philippi. This could have been any number of maybe eight or nine uh, people known to have been with Paul in prison, either actually imprisoned with him or, or moving through Timothy, Epaphroditus, uh, Tychicus, this Philippian, uh, Onesimus, Artichus, Mark, a dude named Jesus who's called Justice, and Luke, Dr. Luke. This is, as Stephen Lawson points out, a greeting from a room of towering theology, like big names, and then at the same time, tend to love in Christ because even though they're big names, even though you find them in your Bible, they share the same story of individual grace, of encountered joy in Jesus as the saints do in Philippi, as you do sitting around these tables right now. And Paul widens the scope of encouragement and greeting uh, to the Philippians to take in the wider Christian fellowship that exists in Rome. Now, whether or not every single believer in Rome was aware that Paul was extending a greeting on their behalf is very unlikely. But we know from Romans 16 that Paul is on a first-name basis and regular communication with uh, dozens of Christians in Rome. And now he's there. Now he's <laughs> in contact with them. The reality is though that Christians in Rome share a common joy with Paul and, and the Christians in Philippi. And Paul is building tangible bridges for those spiritual uh, relations to cross and, and to be encouraged. What a wonderful picture that this greeting, this simple little greeting is, is beginning to paint of the unity of the wider body of the church. But most encouraging would have been the greeting from those in Caesar's household. These new believers are evidence of the ongoing effectiveness of the gospel and the saving grace of Christ that the Philippians and Paul are partnering in. Like it continues to move on and invade other people's lives. They may serve in Caesar's house, but they now find themselves citizens of a much larger household. The household of faith, as Paul describes it at the end of Galatians. They serve Caesar, but they have access to an even greater throne, as the writer of Hebrews lets us know. They are in Rome, but they have a common joy and a common bond with the saints who are back in Philippi. This greeting is is not an incidental formality. 
It is carefully designed picture of encouragement for the Philippians and by extension for you and I. What we see here is that no believer in Christ is ever truly alone. Living next door to them, in the next suburb, in the next city, even in a state, even in another country, right around the globe are people who share a common joy, a common suffering, a common faith in Christ. And you might never have met them, but in broad terms, they share a common bond, a common experience of faith with you, citizens of the kingdom of God. And now, sitting on that table are people who, despite your levels of comfort and, and, and around relationships, despite whether you're you know, introverts or extroverts, are saints who share something deeper than football teams, politics and food likes and dislikes. Sitting around the table right now with you are people who share Christ. They know what it is to be transformed by grace. They know what it is to wrestle with sin and seek to live out their faith in a pretty indifferent and even hostile world at times. These are people that God has placed around you to encourage you, to partner and participate in the gospel with you. You are here. But to what degree are you here with and for each other? Paul finishes this letter in a way that he finishes all uh, 13 of his letters. Grace be with you. Let the common experience of joy that comes from knowing that you are sinners saved by grace shape you more and more. And then would that common experience shape the relationships that you have around these tables? Would this be the way in which you move toward each other? Grace be, be with you, shaping these relationships. The just as Paul finishes his letter with grace be with you, he also starts all 13 of his letters with a different but consistent use of the word grace, and that is grace to you. No exceptions. All 13 letters have this. Now, something like that is intentional. Obviously, Paul is Christianizing a standard form of greeting uh, with new relational realities that would unite the writer and the hearers. But there is, in a sense that Paul knows that his words are more than just the thoughts of the human mind. I think Paul understands that his words carry the weight and the authority of Scripture. So they come to the Philippians as, as grace. This letter is grace to you. And the impact of that sense of grace should be transformative. As you hear this letter, it should be doing something to you. It should, be, it should be challenging you. It should be convicting you. It should be warming your heart with affection for God. It should be deepening your trust in Jesus. All scripture does this kind of thing according to Hebrews 4. And once the content of this letter has been read and understood and, and taken in by the spirit of each individual person at Philippi, it becomes grace with you it should transform you encourage you convict you and warm your heart with joy for the grace that is yours in Christ Jesus and then for the evidence 
of his presence in your life as you recognize some of the material in this letter as actually living here amongst you, amongst us. And I guess the question is, has this letter to the Philippians been grace to you? Has it at some level found its way into your spirit, into the the center of your decision-making space? What, What motivates you so that you know it? you conscious of it and you savor it and you live in it you go on your way in the power of it to fulfill all the commands of this letter living out all the realities of this letter for the glory of god to shine like paul said to shine like those lights that so when when people watch how the gospel brings to life this community they can't help but say there is something radically different about the way these people do life and to the deep joy of our souls so that's why you're around these tables for the next few minutes the opportunity now is just to discuss how has this letter come as grace to us and now sits with us as grace with us Um, share talk At the end of our time together, you'll be able to grab a cup of coffee and uh, gather together and continue some of those conversations that you've started sharing, hopefully deepening our stories of faith and uh, maybe some stories of joy. We had one couple of stories of joy and that that had come into the lives of the people on our table. But what we want to do now is is come together around communion uh, to, to, to share in corporately what Christ has done for us in the second chapter of Philippians Paul gives a picture of our shared life like it's this picture of what the shared life he says when he says if there is any it's not like Paul's not like going oh I wonder if it's there he's actually saying because I know there is because I know there is encouragement in Christ comfort from love participation in the spirit any affection and sympathy complete my joy by being of the same mind like having the same love being full and being in full accord and of one mind like like share this these realities amongst each other don't don't leave them isolated to just you do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit but in humility count others more significant than yourselves and let each of you look not only to his own interests but to the interests of others that's this picture that paul paints it's what a church should look like but none of these qualities and none of this happens because it's natural to us or because of our goodness all of this picture that paul paints here is derived is received is uh, comes to us from being in christ that's the context of it he says having this mind amongst yourselves which is yours in christ jesus and then he begins to give a description of who jesus is and the way jesus operates and how he rolled towards us who though he was in the form of god did not count equality with god a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in a human form he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death even death on a cross 
And therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord uh, to the glory of God the Father. And we confess that Jesus is Lord when our lives, not just by saying, oh yes, Jesus is Lord, but we actually confess it, we actually live it out, we actually shine like these stars that Paul wrote about when our lives conform to the picture that Paul paints in this letter. Not because we're trying to earn anything, not because we think if we do that we'll get salvation, but because of the joy that we have encountered in Jesus.